welcome to the first episode of Designer's Drink, the podcast where I sit down with another designer over a drink, and we talk about their creative process, what inspires them, and what they consider to be success. So, here with me today for the first ever episode is the lovely Matt Brown. Let's do this. Matt is a great designer and illustrator living in Austin, Texas. He's done work for some clients that you may have heard of, like Disney or the LA Clippers or Glee. Um, And it's always good to start a new venture with a friend. So (laughs) let's do this thing. Matt, what are we drinking today? We're drinking some Blue Owl Brewing Spirit Animal Sour Pale Ale. Here you go. Boom. (laughs) That's a sexy sound. And if you had to pick a spirit animal, what would yours be? Uh, I would probably have to quote Ron Burgundy with a flaming golden hawk. (laughs) Introducing us to who you are as a designer. Yeah. You came from San Diego. Yep. And now you're in Austin. Yep. One of the many transplants. What was the first design thing you did in your life? Okay. So after school um, and university, my education was very about uh, the theory of design. And so like not really production based, Mm -hmm. but just about like you know, executing like clean marks and very Mm. kind of like a fine art perspective. I got kind of thrown into the fire in a production environment, as a lot of us do after going to school for design. And so that was like a trial by fire. So since you worked in production, do you come across the prejudice that production artists aren't real designers? I mean, whatever we're doing and whatever level that you're designing, I mean, there's certain creative decisions that have to be like occurring. Mm-hmm. But even if you're an art director or something like that, anybody like that's working on an established brand with kind of brand standards, that kind of falls in line with, you know, that kind of production work where mm-hmm. some things have been done in the past and you kind of have to follow that wavelength. Mm-hmm. Initially, when you asked, asked that question, I, I might have like jumped the gun and been a part of that prejudice. But yeah. now thinking through it, uh, I kind of might fall on the other side. Okay. Yeah, and I wanted to get your perspective because you have worked on both sides. Yeah, I I guess it's kind of, they got a bad rap and they are paid less, but it's kind of unfortunate because like I'm a big proponent and I I might be going like on a different tangent here of a rant, but one of the most overlooked parts about design is, uh, I guess, packaging of the files Mm. and file delivery. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can make the greatest design ever, but if it's not built um, to code, to call it that, it won't be able to be produced. Mm-hmm. A lot of what production art does is not only just building the artwork, but making sure it goes to press correctly. Yeah, yeah, good point. Let's take it uh, kind of basic right now. What is your definition of a designer? I guess my definition of a designer is somebody that comes up with a creative vision for something, and it's all about communication. Mm-hmm. So it's for graphic design, I mean, because there's different kinds of designers, um, I would say it's anybody that kind of approaches a problem and then finds a visual solution to mm-hmm. that problem yeah. in order to convey a message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's all about that problem solving. Illustration, on the other hand, is less about problem solving. Let's talk about your posters because they're awesome. Um, will you describe them for our listeners since they can't see them at the moment? Okay, so as people can't see this, uh, I... Think of a thousand characters all coming together to form an image larger than each one of those individuals. So, for example, we have a movie poster. And so 
it's like a bag of popcorn where each of the kernels is a movie reference spilling out of the bag. What inspired you to do this? My parents actually, it's like really famous in my uh, my parents' house, and I'm making sure they leave it to me in the will. There's this very perverse image where it's not quite as detailed as what I do now, but it's called The Garden of Eros by Charles Bragg. And it's just, it's a sea of profane <laughs> illustrations around a castle. So, okay. you know, there'll be like a turtle character where coming out of the turtle is like an erect penis and there's mm-hmm. like naked people like chasing each other everywhere. But it's like each one of them is like a little microcosm of a joke. The reason why everybody likes this particular picture, like for years and years and years, it was a wedding gift to my parents, is because every time they go in that room, they notice something different. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the door will be closed and then you'll like hear a chuckle from the bathroom. And so that's been kind of like this running joke in my parents' house. So the ability to notice something new every time mm-hmm. when you're looking at a particular picture is mm-hmm. something that's always kind of stuck with me and you know it's like it started with doing it pen and ink but then i wanted to make it more reproducible with vector Mm -hmm. and you know i'm a super nerd so i kind of chose pop culture as my inspiration for things so you know there's a movie poster there's an adventure time one there's a disney poster is the most recent one that we did um i've had a lot of good response and you know it's it's something that you'll really notice something new every time you look at it, or at least at least that's my hope. Yeah, yeah. Or you'll spend an hour looking yeah. at everything. Yeah, like oftentimes uh, I'll go to my buddy's house at parties and like, so people I don't know will like just kind of get like trapped in front of the glass. And, you know, I think that kind of makes like everything worth it because they take a billion hours to make. But, you know, that's like, that's my like pat on the back moment or like kind of the aha moment that I, I like to see people have. Yeah, how many hours does it take to make one? Um, well, I do everything vector with with a mouse just because I'm weird and I have like more control um, over so the you don't anchor start points. With pen and ink. No, no, I just oh. I do it all kind of like you know I have like my you know mood board of reference imagery like especially because everything has to be perfect for you know cartoons and stuff. For example, they might take me probably like a hundred hours of illustrating. Wow. But you know, this is why I do silkscreen because then that's there and it's able to be reproduced. And there are going to be links to Matt's Etsy shop on the website and the podcast description. Yeah. At the very least, uh, check them out. Or you can also go to uh, parts and labor on South Congress or yeah, support your local artists and, uh, or Guzu gallery, um, also on North Lamar. How do you find the creative community in Austin? Well, I like to think of Austin as probably, and it's not something that I made up, it's like the biggest small town ever where there's like only one degree of separation from whoever you are and whatever you're doing in the creative community. So you do a whole lot better job uh, than I do about, um, you know, networking and being outgoing in the community. But I mean, if you work on a project and then you bump into somebody Next time, you know, there's only it's like, oh, I know that person and I know them and I used to work there. So I would call it like I would call it a pretty close community, given the given the size of the city. Yeah. Um, and I've had a really good experience wherever I've worked, whoever I've met. Um, it's, it's easy to make friends here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of how we we met yeah. um, just through a random project. And we kind of like clung to one another after yeah. that was over. <laughs> but 
um, yeah, so I guess it's like Austin is the most friendly city that I've ever lived in, um, and I'm enjoying it. Who inspires you as a designer? There's this artist by the name of uh, Tom Whalen, and you know he he does a lot of pop culture things, but also commercial things, and you know he he does a bit of branding, but like his bread and butter is illustration, and the the things that he can do with three colors or even two colors on a silk screen, the way he can like encapsulate like a whole movie or a TV show or, you know, you know, pop culture reference, the things he can do with like the cleanest stylized vectors and a very contemporary take is something that I don't necessarily try to emulate, but I definitely have an appreciation for and whenever possible, uh, try to take a page from. I'll have to look him up. My uh, current obsession is Tina Roth Eisenberg. She's been my obsession for a while, but she has great design taste. She is on Twitter at Swissmas, and um, she started a co-working space and Creative Mornings, and she's definitely an inspiration for me. So if you don't know her, look her up. Have you gotten into the whole hand lettering phenomenon? I usually start with a cheat. I usually start with like a base font as a reference to kind of understand the flow of the typography. And then from there I build. Um, but like, you're just getting into it. I've seen some of your mm -hmm. stuff. It's quite nice. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I've always loved typography. I've always been drawn to type and the ways you can design type. So that was a natural progression for me. Mm -hmm. Playing off of that. How do you view creativity? Do you see it as something to practice and master or something that you're innately born with or a combination of the two? I think everybody's born with different ways of attacking a problem. Some maybe, you know, it's a right brain, left brain kind of thing. But I think it's certainly something as far as the creative process goes and, and brainstorming and, and everything that goes along with it. If you don't constantly practice it, you can get majorly rusty and it's hard to, you know, to pick that back up again. Totally. I like to call like my own, I guess the initial stage is like the most creative stage in, in my opinion. So I like to call it kind of like the shotgun effect mm -hmm. where you kind of just like remove the filter and then you just get everything down on paper. If it's a logo, you just draw everything. Like even if you don't, um, it's kind of like free association writing where like even if you don't necessarily know where your hand's going, you just kind of keep moving. And then there might only be like one particular element on some random thing that was working, but you can kind of like branch off that. Mm. So I like to just put on some music, no other kind of input, and then just kind of just keep my pen moving, like particularly with like branding. Cool. So let's get real for a minute. In 20 years, where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be? In 20 years, I want to be known maybe not necessarily known for, but hopefully um, for illustration. I started, you know, as we all do as just designers and, you know, project by project. But in 20 years, I'd like to have a little bit more flexibility for the things that are, to me, more fun. And that's my illustration. It's the labor of love. Yeah. But, you know, right now it's just whenever I have kind of some free time, I'll dedicate some time to the next thing that I'm working on. Um, it's what makes me the happiest. And mm -hmm. so that's what I want to transition to full time. I don't think I'll ever lose design because mm -hmm. it's kind of like part of me after all these years. But when it really comes down to it, um, I just like to draw. Mm -hmm.
of your fortes is branding. And when you're working with a new client who doesn't have any branding in place, are there any tools that you use to help them firm it up? Or what does what your process look like? Yeah, so when I'm sending a, a client these loose sketches, I, you know, I scan my sketches, I break them apart of what I think are viable directions. I don't just send them everything. And what I also like to do, including, you know, detailed notes about how I can see this being executed and why this is potentially good, or there might be something here to explore. I just want your input now. I also like to do a whole lot of mood boarding. Um, Hey, here's this idea. Here's something along the same wavelength of what I think this can be. This is the type of thing. It's not going to look like this, but it can have this overall visual feel. Um, I think that, especially because clients may not be as you know clued into the creative process or be able to envision what you're presenting at a loose phase, helps them to get the overall gist of the direction that you're proposing. These images might be uh, bits of texture, bits of architecture. Um, you know, it might it might be somebody else's doodle. It could be anything, but anything to get the client to understand, I guess, the overall feel will help them align that with whatever their objective is. We all know that clients can go crazy with revisions. How do you manage that? I tend to not like to put uh, like a three round revision process on it um, because that's, I mean, that's pretty finite and, you know, there might be multiple sources of input, which is always a challenge to balance, but I don't like to kind of put um, you know, s- stages on that particular process. I like to keep it open. And that's one of the reasons that I like to work hourly. Um, mm. It's not necessarily for one reason or another, but I find that doing it in that way gives the project enough time to be vetted, mm-hmm. um, both on the designer side of the table and the client side of the table. Um that and being compensated for the work that you're actually doing is an added bonus. Right. But it's it's really about, you know, making sure that the project gets done right in everybody's eyes. We all start this entrepreneurship thing for different reasons. And some studies that are out there right now are saying that by 2020, 40% of the U.S.'s workforce will be remote workers. So um, what made you get into uh, working for yourself? Why did you choose entrepreneurship? I wanted more flexibility over my own life. Um, For a long time, I was full-time in-house in moonlighting, as I think it's important for designers to do. But slowly but surely, my moonlighting started to take over as far as not only what I prefer doing, but what was taking the majority of my time. And that and being able to have the time to, you know, volunteer and to, you know, go to the park on an afternoon. It's it's really, you know, take a walk in the morning. Shouldn't be something that's unattainable. It's kind of the work-life balance. I might be working more now than I ever have, uh, knock on wood, on a, on a good week. But the way you can budget your own time and work the hours that you want to work, I think is... Uh, something I'm very thankful to have and mm-hmm. I don't take for granted. Yeah. I know that a lot of freelancers, that's the reason why they start freelancing is because they want the freedom to schedule their time as they wish. And at the same time, you still have to run a business and you still have to be available to your clients and you still have to respond in a timely manner if you want to be uh, good <laughs> or respected. Um, 
So how do you schedule your day? What is what does it look like typically? Ideally, I love a 50-hour work week. Now, if you're working freelance full-time, that doesn't mean you get 50 billable hours. Um, but uh, that's, for me and my schedule, that's what I like to do. Um, I like to get up, have a nice long walk with my wife and the dogs in the morning. Uh, that kind of clears my head and you know, I know what's kind of on deck and subconsciously maybe I can kind of prioritize like how I'm going to execute certain things. And it gives me a chance to kind of like talk through different ideas. Um, so I like kind of having a morning, like a nice morning break and, you know, maybe getting to work about nine. Um, and I'll, I'll work as long as I have the energy to work. I mean, if the work is there, I'm happy to have it. I kind of consider my work ethic to be like a bit of a bulldozer. So I'm very happy with a full plate. And we, you know, we all have kind of anxiety when you have a lot on your plate. Mm -hmm. But for me, uh, what helps that anxiety is kind of clearing a couple line items off your to-do list. Mm -hmm. So that, that helps me kind of power through, even if it's not the most exciting project or something like that, or you're running into a little bit of a snag. But yeah, I like to kind of have the bulldozer mentality and just work until I'm at a good spot for the next day. And hope that there's new emails in the morning. <laughs> yeah, we all want that. Um, how do you determine what to say no to? Do you say no to projects? And if so, when and why? Okay, so I'm glad you asked this because I have a philosophy about this. Never say no to work. Just change your rate. Yeah, so I, I try my hardest. Never say no to work. Because work coming to you without you having to sell yourself is a blessing. So let's capitalize on that, I guess. It sounds very corporate of me, but um, it is a business. So yeah, I, if I don't want to do it or if I'm already feeling the heat a little bit, I might just adjust my rate accordingly. Hmm. Okay. I differ a little bit in that I will say no to projects if I don't think I will be a good fit for them or if I don't think they will be a good fit for me for whatever reason, whether personality um, or the actual project and what it what it is. There's a number of reasons that you can say no. I, I know I did the whole, um, you know, don't don't say no to work. You can just charge more. But, you know, there are a certain amount of ethical decisions that even go into design. So you have to weigh your own personal compass and take those into account. What is one of your favorite books that you think every designer should read? I am a big fan of uh, the street sketchbook series. Um, so not necessarily like as far as, as design goes, but I'm really intrigued with um, how different artists around the world, um, I guess their style. Because everybody's got a different style of illustration. And, you know, the same thing can be applied to design. Everybody's got a different style of design, even though, you know, you might be very versatile and be able to design in a number of different styles. But, you know, as far as a wavelength goes and line quality and the way that you kind of like tackle a project, I like seeing a variety of that kind of thing. So I would definitely recommend checking out Street Sketchbooks. I was recently introduced to the concept of a creative bottom line. 
and everyone knows about the financial bottom line, how much money you need to bring in in order to pay your bills and grow your business and stay afloat. But I was encouraged to consider that creatives need a creative bottom line in order to function at the highest creative capacity. So these are things that will keep you inspired, whether that's going to a museum every month or every week, whether it's taking on one analog project for every digital project, whether it's traveling, um, whatever, you get to fill in the blank. But do you have a creative bottom line for yourself? Yeah. So for me, it's kind of have a baseline of new printed works personally that I'd like to produce every year, but it can be more simple than that. I mean, for me, I mean, I got a closet full of finished sketchbooks. Every little book that I fill up with uh, drawings, either for profit or for personal, is kind of another creative check mark that it kind of shows a mental tally of all of the creative work that you've done. So every finished sketchbook for me is something that I, you know, I refer back to and it's almost like a, a written history of your thinking. Well, whenever I travel, I have a sketchbook that's just for just for fun or whenever I, you know, I have one in the car. Um, if I'm going to an event or a friend's house, you know, I'll have a small one with me. Just you never you never know what you might want to draw or express or you know at the very least give your friend a funny little thing yeah i like that the creative bottom line can be as big or as small as you want it to be there's a lot of freedom in it and i find it very encouraging piggybacking on the creative bottom line idea and dreaming a little bit more is there a tool that you wish existed so I wish that there was some kind of system and you know sam maybe we should invent it (laughs) yeah was able to appropriately match freelancers with clientele based on uh, maybe the size of the company, um, a particular you know style they're they're looking for, but mm. basically to make sure that an experienced freelancer um, has a legitimate and vetted client. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there are a number of great freelance sites out there. Um, I would recommend Thumbtack to anybody. But it's it's very hit or miss. And if you, you know, only moonlight or you're not at your computer all the time and it's a perfect fit for you as far as a job goes, Mm. only the first five bids go through. So Mm -hmm. that's all that the client is going to see. Now, those five bids might come from a student, somebody fresh out of school, uh, a veteran or somebody that might not be equipped with their graphic designers toolbox to handle that particular project. All that matters is that they put their bid in beforehand. Hmm. Now, Thumbtack is the best freelance site that I've found thus far. And I have a lot of um, great clients that have come from that. But if you're not Johnny on the spot, you might lose out on a portfolio project where both of you are equally matched. So Mm -hmm. in a perfect world, I would love for the perfect client and the perfect freelancer to be matched appropriately. So it's like Match.com meets LinkedIn meets Dribbble. Will somebody please create this? Thanks. So why do you invest in a system like Thumbtack that charges freelancers to bid on jobs? I mean, it's it's a really old cliche saying, but you kind of have to spend money to make money. Graphic design is a very, very competitive business. Um, There there's a surplus of us out there with all varying degrees of uh, skill level and 
you know, attributes. It's kind of a, it's a buyer's market as far as design is concerned, which is unfortunate. And I wish that the design community was um, more supportive, uh, more supported and understood. But um, it's kind of one of the necessary evils for us on this side of the table. Hmm. And I, on the other hand, haven't used a, a system like Thumbtack where you have to pay to bid on jobs, uh, mostly on principle. But I totally agree that our system is kind of broken at the moment. And I hope that we can figure out how to how to fix it as us freelancers unite. Woo! Now we've come to the time in the show where I ask you what you want to plug and where we can find you on social media. Um, everybody check out Oh Hi Matt if you need any uh, graphic design needs. Um, uh, Etsy store, Oh Hi Matt. Buy some posters, check it out. All right, so thanks for being on this podcast, Matt. The first one. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Stay in school. Cool.